My name is Charles R. with the Box R Ranch in Bertram, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas, agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Thanks so much for taking time to join me for another edition of Texas Ag Today. So jump on in with me. Buckle up. Let's take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, cotton planting is about wrapped up here in Texas, and the condition of the crop varies on where you're at. We'll take a closer look at cotton planting and cotton conditions coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. When you're in a drought and some big rains come along, it's only natural to want to celebrate but you run the risk of celebrating prematurely. I'm James Hunt, and coming up on Texas Ag Today, we'll talk about the situation in the Texas High Plains. Despite various challenges, the outlook for U.S. beef exports continues to be positive. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. When you fertilize according to soil test recommendations, harvest the hay at the appropriate stage of maturity, and carefully cure and bale your hay, it ends up being an expensive commodity worth protecting from the elements. I'm Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. We're on the downhill slide for cotton planting here in Texas now, according to the latest Crop Progress and Condition Report. It shows 89% of the Texas cotton crop now in the ground. Ron Joyner is a field agronomist with Pioneer. He says in his central Texas territory, the cotton crop is getting off to a good start. The cotton crop is is faring pretty good. I know guys have been spraying pretty readily, you know, controlling some insects and stuff and and uh, where they've done that and done a good job with their weed control. You know, a lot of guys are, are, are using some enlist cotton, things like that. Um, the cotton crop looks like it's off to a decent start where they got a good stand. The latest Texas cotton crop ratings show 25% of the crop rated good to excellent, 46% rated fair, and 29% of the crop rated poor to very poor. Despite much higher prices for farm inputs and lower government payments this year, most crops will likely still result in positive net cash farm income. That's Texas A&M's Dr. Joe Outlaw testifying before a congressional subcommittee last week. He told them that farms should be profitable this year with one exception. The only farms we have that really aren't going to cash flow this year are rice farms. Two-thirds of them will not cash flow. This lack of profitability is coming despite the fact that USDA is projecting rice prices to be 12% higher this year. But rising input costs are eating up those price increases, keeping most rice farmers in the red. Dr. Outlaw says consumer inflation is around 8% right now, but for farmers, it's way more than that. 
The lowest year-over-year -year inflation farmers are seeing is twice that on seed, with most commodity categories many times higher. While some producers were able to benefit by lacking in input prices early in 2021 for this year's crop, most indicated very little ability to do so. So Dr. Outlaw says most farmers will see their profit margins squeezed, but not eliminated. This has been a tough year for ranchers in southwest Texas. David Fisher is a cattle, sheep, and goat producer in Sonora, and he says they haven't gotten the rains there that the rest of the state has seen. Yeah, so it's been a tough, tough year. We've had um, maybe three inches of rain since the 1st of October. And so we're talking, you know, two-thirds to three-quarters of our year with three inches of rain. That's hard to deal with. Um, fortunately for us, prices are still good, you know, in all classes of livestock, decent at least, if not good. And those good prices have been a big help because Fisher says ranchers in his area have had to sell a lot of good breeding stock due to the drought. Dry soil conditions remain an issue for Texas High Plains farmers. James Hunt tells us recent rains were great, but they're drying up quickly. If you're someone who likes to look at the Texas Drought Monitor map when it's updated every Thursday, you've noticed that the colors on the map have become a little more favorable for much of the region in recent weeks thanks to some fairly big rains. But Texas A&M AgriLife agronomist Jordan Bell says despite the improving appearance of the map, Below the surface, we still have a huge problem with lack of moisture. With recent rain, we are seeing that our top two to four inches has wetted up. And that is something that NOAA looks at when they are looking at the drought situation and how they're classifying regions. But we have to keep in mind that that soil is going to quickly dry out and roots are not going to grow through that drier soil. And we have very dry soil profiles. So... If producers do not have the well capacity to keep up with the crop water demand, I think we're going to be looking at a very tough growing season for even irrigated producers. Dr. Bell says our conditions are very concerning for area corn as it moves into the ear formation stages. Corn starts forming its ear very early. So if we don't have the water and it's just high stress, high heat, high winds, I think we're going to see some impacts to yields. So it remains true that our region still needs a lot of rain, and it would be nice to get it without severe weather. As we mentioned yesterday, there have been substantial losses for corn, cotton, and wheat in the Northeast Panhandle due to recent hail. And even though excessive heat has been the problem lately, it's actually those very cool temperatures we had back in May that has caused concern about chilling injury for some area cotton. More on that in our next report. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. U.S. beef exports have been on fire recently. Tom Nicoletti says the outlook is very good for that to continue. Despite high inflation in the United States, discussion of food shortages, and the war in Ukraine, the forecast for U.S. beef exports remains positive. U.S. Meat Export Federation Vice President for Economic Analysis Aaron Borer explains the situation in comments recently to exporters, importers, processors, and producers. We do have record exports, and our exports have kept on this amazing clip. And every month when I hear uh, the challenges the exporters are facing, I get really depressed, and then the data comes in, and I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's still just incredible the way demand is held up. And knowing all the hoops that are gone through every day on the logistical side, 
to get these record exports to flow, it is really impressive. And it's testament to the product that you produce and the choice in prime beef coming out of this country and almost seemingly insatiable demand by our global consumers. And we can't understate the importance of China continuing to come into this market in a big way. And of course, that getting momentum with the implementation of phase one back in March of 2020, right around covid and China's demand continuing, and our shipments have kept flowing every week despite this, the lockdowns in Shanghai where most of our beef does enter the country. Again, as I look at high input costs and uh, for everyone, for all segments of our industry, not going away, and in our minds that just means we need to export. It's, exports are more and more critical to maximizing the value of every animal we produce. And having customers around the world that are impacted by these situations differently, having that diverse consumer base is critical. Being able to market consumers all around the world is essential. That is Aaron Bohr with the U.S. Meat Export Federation. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Producing high-quality hay is now more expensive than ever. Forage specialist Dr. Vanessa Olson says storing hay in a barn can really pay off this year. Barn storage is usually considered to be a consistently highly effective method of storing hay. When the typical dry matter storage loss of dry hay during inside storage is 5%, compared to the 30% or more common with hay stored outside, it isn't difficult to see that reduced losses can often provide payback on barn construction within a few years. Hay that is stored outside can lose significant dry matter and nutritive value in a relatively short time. Even a four-inch band on the outer surface of a six-foot diameter round bale can represent a 21% loss of dry matter and nutritive value. Typically, hay bales stored outside for several months develop at least five or six inches of outer surface that has no feed value and that animals will refuse. Data suggests that often 50% or more of the storage losses associated with outside storage occur at the bottom of the bale. Dry hay touching damp soil draws moisture into the bale. If hay and soil are in contact, large weathering losses occur on the bottom of bales, even when they are stored on a well-drained site. Round bales can be stored outside, but losses will be significant compared to storage under a roof. To reduce losses, hay can be stored under tarps specifically designed for this task. Direct hay to soil contact should be minimized with items that do not trap or hold water. For example, telephone posts, scrap pipe, and cross ties have all been successfully used in hay storage. When round hay bales are stored in the field, they should be stored in rows with the flat ends of the bales together to minimize exposure to the elements. The rows should be stored on a well-drained slope running north and south to maximize east to west sun exposure that helps them dry out after rainfall. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension in Overton for Texas Ag Today. A Texas angler recently caught a potentially world record breaking fish off the coast of Texas. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. And testing dogs for food allergies can take a lot of time, but it may not have to. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. 
Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to insure your home for Texas-size weather. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Testing dogs for food allergies can take a lot of time, but Dr. Bob Judd says a new study may shorten that testing time. A food trial is the only method to determine if your dog has a food allergy. I know human dermatologists use skin and blood testing to determine food allergies, but veterinary dermatologists say these tests are not accurate in dogs. I don't know why there is a difference, but studies have shown the food allergy tests are not effective in dogs, so a food trial must be performed. The problem is that food trials are very difficult to perform, and it is not as easy as just switching foods. The dog must be fed a veterinary-only food, either with a naive protein like rabbit that the dog has not been exposed to before, or a hydrolyzed protein that is non-allergenic. Also, the dog must eat this food and only this food for 8 to 10 weeks, and this means no treats, table scraps, or even food accidentally dropped on the floor. Flavored oral heartworm preventative and flea medication cannot even be used. So you can see this is a difficult proposition and requires 8 to 10 weeks for the test to occur. And then if possibly successful, the dog is challenged with the old food to see if allergies recur. However, a recent paper details a method of shortening the food trial by giving medications to stop the itching for three weeks while on the new food and then seeing how the animal responds. If no itching occurs after stopping the medication for two weeks, the old food is started back to see if itching recurs. This method potentially cuts the food trial from 10 weeks to 5 weeks unless itching is still recurring after the third week of medication. So if your dog is allergic and your vet has recommended a food trial, but you have been reluctant due to the time required, ask your veterinarian about this shorter option. I'm Dr. Bob Judd on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A Texas angler recently caught a potentially world record-breaking fish off the Texas coast. Jessica Domel tells more about it in today's Wildlife Report. Earlier this month, a Texas angler brought in the catch of a lifetime, a 137-pound Cubera snapper that, if verified, breaks not only the state, but the world record for the fish. According to the Facebook page for Port Aransas Fisherman's Wharf, where the angler brought the fish to be weighed, Braden Sharon caught the Cubera snapper while freedive spearfishing in the Gulf of Mexico. At 137 pounds, the fish bests the current state record of 131 pounds that was set all the way back in 1983. It's also larger than the all-tackle world record that was set in 2007 in Louisiana of 124 pounds for a Cubera snapper. Cubera snapper, according to the Gulf of Mexico Fishery Management Council, is the largest snapper in its geographical distribution, which is the western Atlantic Ocean from Nova Scotia all the way down to Brazil. Also known as the Cuban snapper, Cubera snapper may live up to 55 years and, as evidenced by this catch, can weigh well over 100 pounds. According to an article in the San Antonio Express News, Port Aransas Fisherman's Wharf is waiting on the official word from Texas Parks and Wildlife and the International Game Fish Association about the fish's record-breaking status. 
And as we wait for news on the record-breaking status of the fish caught this month, you can catch up on the fishing and spearfishing adventures of the angler who caught the fish. His name's Braden Sharon, and he chronicles his adventures on YouTube. To find his channel, you can search YouTube for Braden, that's B-R-A-D-E-N, Sharon, S-H-E-R-R-O-N. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. We saw a mixed trade in the live cattle market on Thursday, but the feeder cattle market dropped lower thanks to a jump in corn prices. We'll check out all of Thursday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Hi, this is Kerry Martin with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. You know, I've spent my entire life in agriculture, and I know how stressful farming and ranching can be. Things like the economy, finances, and the weather all increase our stress levels and can leave us feeling defeated. That's where the Texas Agri-Stress Helpline comes in. I want you to write this number down, 833-897-2474, Or if you can't write it down right now, just remember, you can go to farmlifehelp.com. That's farmlifehelp.com. The Texas Agri-Stress Helpline. Even the toughest people need help sometimes. Do me a favor, don't wait. Call today. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The live cattle market traded on both sides of Unchanged on Thursday. That's how we closed it, with some contracts higher, some contracts lower. The nearby June was up 20 cents, 137.75. August down 50 cents, 136.30. October live cattle down 15, 142.07. We saw losses in the feeder cattle market, a big jump in the corn market, putting pressure on feeder cattle prices. August feeders down $1.97 at $171.30. September feeders down $1.87, $173.22. October down $1.82 at $174.97. Cash-fed cattle market steady to $2 higher this week. We've seen sales range anywhere from $136 to $139 here in the south on a live basis. Up north, dressed cattle have traded in a range of 223 to 236, mostly at 230. That's four bucks higher compared to last week. Boxed beef prices lower on Thursday. Choice down a dollar two at 267.20. Select down 63 cents, 245.05. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. When you hear cattle in the alleyway, it's time to talk to Doug Bass from Cattleman's Brenham. They sell them every Friday. Doug, I know it was a good one, but describe to my Texas neighbors how it went. Ended up with 896 head of cattle. Uh, market here good. I think the cow market was pretty steady to the week before. Cow market seems like it's easing up a little bit. Let's walk the pins. Yeah, you're weighing cows. Thinner lower yielding cows bring 33 to 60. Better cows bring 64 to 90. Thinner lower yielding bulls bring 71 to 87. Better bulls bring 94 to $1.13 and a half. Paired cows, uh, pairs bring anywhere from 11 to 13 and a quarter. Bred cows bring anywhere from 395 to $1,100. Uh, the calf market, like I said, I think is a little higher again this week. Uh, buyers seem like they're pretty aggressive. Uh, two to three weight steers, 135 to 202. Heifers, 135 to 170. Three to four weight steers, 130 to 210. Heifers, 129. 
240. Four to five weight series, 120 to 194. Heifers, 118 to 170. Five to six weight series, 115 to 180. Heifers, 114 to 160. Six to seven weight series, 110 to 170. Heifers, 112 to 153. Seven to eight weight steers, a dollar to a dollar 48. Heifers, a dollar to a dollar 34. And your 800 to a thousand pound steers and bull yellers are 95 to 145. And the heiferettes bring 80 to 109. Good. Now, what do we anticipate for this Friday sale? Oh, uh, looks about the same. I think we'll stay somewhere around a thousand. You know, I've got some cattle up there, got some people calling. Uh, we can sure use a shot of rain. I'm, I'm scared if we don't start getting a little rain, we're going to start seeing a lot more cattle show up that, that probably people are not wanting to sell. Right. But getting pretty dry down around our area. Well, tell everybody so, how to get a hold of you, Doug Bass. Uh, yes, sir. You can call me on my cell, 979-877-4454, or call us at the office, 979-836-3621. Neighbor, I'm Larry Marble. That's it for Walking the Pins here on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'll tell you what, I'll put together another one for you tomorrow. See you then. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now, where lean hogs close sharply higher on Thursday. July hogs up a dollar thirty, one oh nine fifty seven. August hogs up a dollar seventy, one oh six oh two. Class three milk was lower. June milk down five cents, twenty four twenty nine a hundred weight. July milk down fifty four at twenty three seventy two a hundred. The cotton market closed higher, getting support from a fairly good-looking USDA weekly export sales report released Thursday morning. China was the dominant buyer in the report. Also, keeping an eye on the West Texas weather, the latest drought monitor was out on Thursday, showing a lot of West Texas still at D4 drought. We close with July cotton up 35 points, 143.53. October cotton up 101, 126.13. December cotton up 131 points, 119.23. The corn market closed higher, getting support from very strong ethanol demand and a weather forecast calling for hot, dry temperatures in the corn belt over the next 5 to 20 days. We close with July corn up 14 and a quarter, 788 and a quarter. September corn up 12 and three quarters, 741 and three quarters while December corn was up 14 cents, 7.35 a bushel. The wheat market closed higher, soft wheat especially getting a boost, with Indonesia in the market buying soft wheat from the United States, also looking at hot, dry conditions in the European Union. We close with July Kansas City wheat up 15 and a quarter, 11.48 and a half. Soft wheat in Chicago, July contract up 28 and a quarter, 1078 and a quarter. In the energy markets, July natural gas was unchanged, 741. July crude oil up $1.80, 11711 a barrel. Big drop in the financial markets on Thursday. The Dow down 787 points, 29,881. The NASDAQ down 460 at 10,638. The SP down 126 points, 3,663. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. My name is Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state on the planet, Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.